Christy's sister, Margie, who's had a lot of health problems, obviously. Uh, during one of her episodes, she went blind. And I forget how long it was. It was uh, it was several days. She just went blind. Now, thankfully, her eyesight came back. But I remember that, that you know, obviously being the brother-in-law and being there visiting the hospital and that, that feeling you could see in her face of that fear of not being able to see after you've had your sight. Or uh, have you ever been in a dark area, in a dark room, and, you know, that fear that comes upon you? Uh, just just think about that. Um, if you can just think about being blind, whether it be in, you know, if you've had your sight, how dramatic it is to go blind and not being able to see. Think about how that would affect your life. Think about how it would change how you would live your life and what you do. Think about if someone was born blind. Maybe you've known somebody that was born blind or had to do that. And it's, your sight is very important to you. I, I want to show this video in just a, a minute here. This is a video that came across. Uh, you've probably seen them if you've been on any kind of social media here lately. They've been everywhere. And I saw that. I thought, this is perfect. Um, you know, the, this is a video of people who have, uh, weren't totally blind, but they were colorblind meaning that they didn't see colors as the same way as, uh, you know, those of us that have uh, our, our regular sight. Uh, and, and I want you to see the reaction when they, uh, obviously technology has jumped drastically, and uh, they've improved to where people that are colorblind can wear these glasses. And, and you watch the reaction of when they see for the first time. Can you show that video, please? Uh, scripture, not, I mean, I realize it's, it's, this is, again, this is not the scripture. This is just my interpretation of what this scripture would have been like if it would have been written as in the point of view from the blind man. So, so just bear with me, cause, and, and I want you to think about it. Put, your, put yourself in the seat of that man being born blind, or the, the, my, the blind man that had been born blind, and think about this instant, this moment that he meets Jesus. The blind man makes his way to the designated spot, the place where he stations himself daily and begs for alms. He may even sleep in the same place where he spends his days. Most beggars have benefited of their sight, so that when they see someone who's a regular donor, they can certainly start to make their appeal. Likewise, there's undoubtedly those little tightwads that, you know, they're not really worth even the effort of making the plea to for that gift. Strangers are at least a possibility of some source of income. But even such, things beg, uh, even such things as begging can be made into a science and a strategy for them to make out. What a vantage point from which to observe humanity. The difference with this blind man is that he can't see, though. He can't see the prospects of donors coming. He has to listen carefully to the sounds of people passing by. Or perhaps he's stationed alongside another beggar who can see that will give him advance notice. Hey, here comes somebody. The sounds of footsteps is heard by that blind beggar. Then he hears even more of an encouraging clue. The footsteps cease. Has he been seen? Is this someone that's going to give him something? We aren't told exactly if the man even asked for money or not, but he may well do or does. He must overhear the conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Whoever, uh, who has sinned? Is it this man or is it his parents? He hears, the, he hears. 
Well, I suspect the blind man is curious, though he's probably heard every theory about suffering. Even if, he's, uh, even if he hears this answer, it's entirely new. It's different. It's the most certainly encouraging. He hears neither the sin of this man nor the sin of his parents is the explanation for this physical infirmity. The man's condition has been sovereignly ordained so the works of God might be revealed through him. Can you imagine the chill that must have ran down that uh, the blind man's spine at that time? What hope? He doesn't know, or he does know what the outcome of this encounter will be, but it certainly sounds hopeful. And as Jesus utters these words, he begins to draw near to the blind man, and then he pauses beside him. And then the rabbi spits. Perhaps the blind man flinches, having been spat upon before by those self-righteous Pharisees or some mischievous youth. Ha! He missed! <laughs> The beggar may be thinking somewhat triumphantly. But now, what, what's he doing? I, I, I can't see. It looks like he, he's stooping down. He's doing something on the ground. Is, is it where the spit had landed? And almost before the man realizes what's happening, there are two mud pies that are applied to each eye. Is this not adding insult to injury? Is this some kind of cruel joke? The man has placed clay on his eyes and then instructs this blind beggar to go to a pool named Siloam to wash the mud from his eyes. That pool's on the other side of town. He promises no miracles and he says nothing to the crowd. He and his disciples just silently slip away. The blind beggar makes his way to the pool just as he had been instructed. We know that this is a necessity even more than even just faith because, I mean, after all, he's got mud in his eyes now. At no time did Jesus promise the man healing. He doesn't tell the crowd that there's a great miracle about to occur. So far as we can tell, the miracle took place while the man was alone, washing the mud out of his eyes. Can you imagine that moment as he washes the mud out of his eyes and to his amazement, he sees light for the first time? He sees people for the first time. His eyesight for the first time in his life. Well, no doubt he's been to this pool many times and he knows his way, but now he can actually see the things that he's bumped into, the things that he's felt with his hands and fingers. Can you imagine making his way home and maybe pausing to smell those roses that, you know, to look at those roses that he's only smelt before? What a day for this man. Blind all his life until he met Jesus. What a unique experience. Life-changing when he met Jesus. Today, I want to talk about three things that I believe this blind man saw through that experience. The first is that the blind man saw Jesus as his healer. We can look in this scripture in John uh, chapter 9, verse 25. It says that he, whether uh, he replied, the blind man, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I just know one thing. I was blind, and now I see. He didn't know. I don't even know who the guy was. I didn't see because he left. All I know is, hey, I was blind, and now I see. 
No other question. He didn't have any other answers. I don't know. I've been blind all my life, and hey, I can see you. You know, being in ministry, we've, we've prayed for a lot of people that have been sick and uh, dealt with a lot. Um, it, it's, it's a common thing. I mean, that's part of our job. That's We have faith. We believe. And um, it, it's kind of been my uh, perception and understanding that there's two kind of positions or two kind of people when it comes to afflictions. The first is those that just want to hang on to their sickness like it's something they're stuck with for the rest of their life. It's become part of their identity. It's become part of who they are. It's, oh, I just got to deal with this for, the, for their whole life. So I want to uh, look at uh, an example of a, a few people that, that kind of are hanging on to their, to their sickness, hanging on to their hurt, hanging on to their feelings, and, and they don't quite get it. And we can see it in this story. The first people that we see that didn't quite get it in this story was the disciples. You see, the disciples, when they saw the blind man, they were operating out of tradition. Well, well Jesus, who, who was it? Who was it that sinned? Was it, uh, was it this man or was it his parents? You see, John 9, 2 tells us, talks about that. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents who were born blind? You see, back then, they had a belief or a tradition that it was sin that caused this man to be born blind. It was either, if it wasn't him, it was his parents that was passed on. Have you ever known someone that just wants to dwell in sickness? I, I, I remember uh, my grandma, bless her heart, godly woman, but, you know, she, uh, sometimes I wonder if she liked being sick. <laughs> Every time you called grandma, we knew what the conversation was going to end up about. Well, grandma, how are you doing today? Well, I've got this pain in my neck, and now it's going down to my legs. Down, we all had it for a week now. That well, you know, and just constantly. That was the only thing coming out of her mind. If she didn't have that, she wouldn't have anything to talk about. It was tradition for her to be able to have that and hold on to that. It was her tradition. You know, I'm, I'm a tradition. I like tradition. I like sentiment, especially around Christmas time. Christy and I, we, we have traditions, and we have things in our family that we hold on to, and it's very important. But there's some things that we, our family has passed down and will pass down to our kids and that are important. But if you know some of the things in my, my history of my family, I'll just tell you, um, my grandfather passed away with cancer. My uncle died from cancer. My mom has passed away with cancer. My cousins had died. We had a cousin that died recently from cancer. My other grandpa died of a heart attack. Uh, my aunt on that side had congestive heart failure passed away. My dad is dealing with congestive heart failure now. Can I just tell you right now, those are not some traditions that I want in my life. Those are some traditions that I have had. Let me tell you, we as a couple and as a family, we have come to God and said, you know what? I refuse to have those traditions in my life. It may have uh, affected those in the past, but it is not going to happen to me. And I'm certainly, certainly rebuked and certainly come to Jesus for healing that it is not going to be passed down to my kids either. I recognize that God is a healer. He is the healer, and I don't care. It may have been a tradition in my family to deal with cancer. It may have been a tradition in my family to deal with heart disease. But guess what? I am not. I'm going to the healer to let him be my healer, no matter what has been in my past. I, pr I believe that. <coughs> Second, we look at the townspeople. 
As you read this story, the townspeople are just operating out of ignorance. They just don't know. They just don't have a clue. They don't get it. John 9, 8 through 13 talks about the, the, the townspeople's reaction to this blind man all of a sudden being able to see. His neighbors and those who formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, no, it looks like him. But (laughs) who knows? The blind man's finally saying, I'm the man. I'm the one that used to sit there and beg. I'm the one that was born blind. How were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus came, put mud in my eye, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash it. So I went, washed, and bam, I could see. Where is this man, they said. I don't know. And so they took him to the Pharisees, the church leaders. They just didn't know better. They just didn't have an understanding to know that, hey, they're missing it. Don't be clueless today. Know that God is here to heal you. God is here for your miracle. As we sang this morning, God is here. Don't operate, understand his word. When you're dealing with sickness, when you're dealing with tragedy in your life, go to his word and find out with the truth and have some understanding so that you can know that God is your provider, your healer. Don't operate in ignorance. You don't have to. Understand that his word declares it. His word shows us that there's healing. Understand that. If you are confused about what's happening to you, listen, go to the Word. Let the Holy Spirit give you understanding for it today. Finally, we see, because they can't figure out this man, they can't figure out what's going on, so they, they bring his parents. Well, let's go get his parents. His parents will know. After all, he's been bo- he was born blind. He's been born his whole life he's been blind. And what do the parents do? They operate out of fear. You see in John chapter 9 again, verses 20 through uh, 23. Well, uh, we know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how can he see? And who opened his eyes? We don't know. Why don't you just ask him for yourself? He's of age now. He's not even living at home. You know, he's, he's his own age. You know, he's going to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid of being cast out and from their community and they're in the church. This is what the, why the parents said, just go ask him. They were afraid. Their own son had experienced a miracle and they were afraid to admit it. They were afraid to acknowledge it. We operate in fear. Sometimes we just, oh, we want to hang on to our our afflictions because we're afraid. Ooh, that's pretty radical going up there and let someone pray for me. Ooh, they they, they might speak in an unknown tongue. (laughs) What if they start speaking in tongues? The Holy Spirit. Ooh, that's kind of crazy. That's kind of fearful. We, ooh, faith. We got to have faith. Oh, it gets fear. We let the fear of the unknown inhibit us. And that's where the parents were. We miss out on what God has for us because of fear. 
when can operate in healing. The second person that we that I see when when that I've kind of observed when it comes to healing is those persons who are so desperate for healing, they have no other choice. You see, the blind man couldn't see. He couldn't even see who what was doing or who was doing what to him. The blind man didn't know exactly who Jesus was and what, what I mean. He didn't know. I mean, you know, he may have heard a few things, but I mean, he just was a beggar. And when the mud was put on his eyes, he had no choice but to do what Jesus said. Because I mean, after all, it was a necessity to get the mud out of his eyes. It was probably as much of a need for necessity than it was even for faith. Because, I mean, he couldn't just stand there and sit there for the mud in their lives for the rest of the life, you know. He had to go wash it off. He became, his situation became more and more desperate. It wouldn't have been easy for him to have to walk. Uh, I, 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 in, in my studies this week, they said it was on the uh, southern side of the city, the, the, the pool was. He had to walk across. He had to find his way. Remember, this was before he was healed. He had to make his way to the pool. That, that wouldn't have been easy for a blind person, especially if he got mud in his eyes. Who knows? He might have had someone to help him. He might not have. His situation was desperate. Desperate. His condition made him desperate. That made him a prime, prime candidate for healing. My, my question for you is, are, 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 you, are you ready to be healed? Are you ready to allow God to move in your situation? Are you allow, Are you ready? Is there a sense of desperation yet? Because I guarantee you the man that was blind, he was ready. He was ready. The third thing that I see, that, uh, the, or the second thing I see the blind man saw is that the blind man, or he, he, the blind man saw Jesus as his provider. His provider. John 9, 8 shows us that his neighbors saw those who, or, sorry, his neighbors and those who formerly seen him begging, asking, isn't this the same man who sat and begged? Can you imagine what his life would have been as a beggar? We, we know for a fact that bli uh, the blind man was a beggar. We also know that uh, how begging usually worked. The blind man was stationed on the side of the road where he hoped some kind of kind-hearted person would come by and give him something. You know, we, we see it even in our, uh, in our city today. There's the guy standing there on the street corner holding the sign, I will work for food. You know, or you, you see those people, they're, they're begging. Can you imagine what, what, what a life that is? Probably not, you know, probably not a fun life. And especially like we explained earlier, if he's blind, he couldn't see people coming. He didn't know who to ask, when to ask. And so it was probably even a little harder, but he even had it even harder than that, if you think about it. Because in that time, the Pharisees and the, some other people there, um, they, they weren't really considered people on the outs or people of handicap or down on the luck. No, they were disdained or disliked. Because of the, they blamed the sin in their life. They finally got what they deserved, their sin. That blindness is what they deserve. We, we're not going to help out them. We're not going to help them. Why should they show charity under a divine discipline anyway? Too many others. Just a nuisance. 
So it made it even harder at Cayman in his life, living in poverty, living in struggle. I, I remember, uh, uh, you know, graduating and uh, getting started in life, and I, I had a lot of jobs. Pastor, he laughs at me a lot. But every time, oh, yeah, I worked there. Oh, yeah, I've done that. I, I, I had a lot of jobs. And it was, wasn't until we, I got married, and I, Christy and I began to start our ministry. And um, we made a choice that we were going to travel and do children's ministry where we did kids' crusades in different parts of the, the country. <laughs> it was a big step of faith because, I mean, it was, uh, uh, yeah, leaving a little bit of our comfort and our security. And it, it, was, it was a challenge financially. Any other time in my life, if I, you know, struggle, I just go get another job. I remember working in the mall at uh, a Sears and JCPenney's, and I was working there. And I remember at lunch one day, I just walking down the hall, going down to the food court. Oh, that person, they got a wanted help wanted sign. So I walked in, applied. I started the job. I had two jobs from that day on. <laughs> you know, I just remember anytime I needed money, I would just go and apply for a job. But we were on the road. We were traveling this time. We, I, I I couldn't get that couldn't just go and get another job because hey, we were gonna be traveling, we were gonna be going. Also had a wife then, so you know, when I was single, I could work two jobs and work all day long. Christy thought I should come home every day, you know. It, it changed my perspective. And you know what it caused me to have to realize is that hey, those jobs and all those jobs that I had were not my provider. God was our provider. And I remember one instance, man, we came and we had a, a couple of weeks where we didn't have anything booked and uh, church-wise, and it was uh, kids' crusade-wise, and it was it was pretty tough. And you know, we still we came home to our home church, and we we just went into church. We didn't think anything of it. We were there for church. We knew what it was. We knew there was a need, but we always trusted God. And this uh, gentleman came up who's known Christy for I don't know how long, but they were good friends of us. And it was this grown man, and he was almost had tears in his eyes. Like, a little uncomfortable, got to be honest. It was a little weird. And he's just like, God just told me to give you what was in my wallet. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, great, you know, a couple bucks, $5, whatever. No, it was a significant amount. And it met the need that we were able to pay our rent that month. And I remember at that point coming to the realization that, hey, it, it wasn't the amount of jobs. It wasn't the jobs that I had. It was that God was my provider. It wasn't even the, 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 the gentleman in our church who was used of God. He was used, obviously, but he wasn't my provider. It was God that was my provider. And just think about how this young, this, this blind man now, because he could see, he could work for the first time. He could support himself. God became this, I mean, because of Jesus coming in here, he, uh, God became his provider. Changed his world. Finally, I believe the blind man saw Jesus as his Savior. He saw Jesus as his Savior. Let's look at John 9 again in 35 through 39. The Pharisees are here, and they're trying to make, you know, what the sense of it, the religious leaders. And to this way they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And so they threw the blind man out. In other words, he was cast out of the church. He was cast out from that church that day, no longer welcome, excommunicated, so to speak. But Jesus heard what, that they had thrown him out, and he went and found him. Don't you love it? God's always looking for us. 
Jesus asked the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believed, and he worshiped him. What an experience after being healed, after all these people that have dogged and fought and tried to argue against his healing, he finally now, remember, he didn't see Jesus the first time. He was still blind, and Jesus left. This is the first time he's seeing Jesus face to face. And what is it? First of all, we can see in the Scripture that God is seeking those who have been rejected by others. Maybe you have been feeling rejected. Maybe you've gone through rejection from family members or from uh, friends or in this world today. Whatever it is. Listen, God is seeking those who are rejected. God is willing to forgive and rescue sin. Not once, not once did Jesus ever bring up the fact of of this man's sin. All he was concerned about was his healing and then, hey, do you love me? All he cared about, do you believe in me? Do you believe in Jesus? I am convinced that God is less concerned about our sin than we are. Sometimes we let our sin and things keep us from moving forward and to let God uh, do the work in our life. See, the reason I know that God is less concerned about sin is because he already has the answer for sin. He's not worried about the sin because he has the answer of sin. Now, I'm not saying that you can't, you know, hey, when you come to him, you've got to deal with the sin. But listen, he's got the answer for it. There, there, where, where are we trying to handle it on our own? Where is that keeping us from what God has for us? Let God be God in your life and let him be the Savior and rescue from that sin. He's not, he, he's not worried. He's got it. He can handle it. He can forgive it. The price that he paid on the cross was worthy enough to handle your sin. If you're holding back from fully committing God because of sin, listen, there's no reason. He's got it. He can handle it. He's okay. Come to him. He can take care of that sin for you. All he worries, all his concern is, do you love him? Will you worship him? That's his question to you. He, he, he's already taking care of the sin. He's ready for you. All you got to do is come and confess it, and he'll take care of it. The greatest thing to understand is God's greatest desire. His greatest desire is to meet your need. God's greatest desire is to meet your need. Whether it's for healing, whether it's provision, or whether it is salvation or saving from the penalty of sin, that's his greatest desire. This blind man's life was radically transformed. People didn't understand it around him. Confusion, chaos, but all the man kept saying is, I don't know, I was blind, and now I see. Today, what is the need in your life? Do you need healing? Are you desperate enough for it? Don't let the tradition and the fear and the worry hold you back from your healing. Do you need provision? Because, listen, God's a God of provision. His word says, press down, shaking together and running over. 
Maybe you need to, maybe you're here today and you haven't, you've let sin hold you back from coming to God. Listen, he, he can handle sin. He, he paid for it on the cross. All you got to do is come. And he says, you know what, I'll take that sin and he throws it away in the sea of forgetfulness. And then you come and say, God, I worship you, I love you. And listen, it's the greatest experience I guarantee you the greatest experience you'll experience in your life. To me, it's even greater than the healing. The greatest testimony of that, guy, of that blind man's life was that he saw Jesus as a Savior. His healing was great, but it's just like uh, Michelle was saying, he, the, the healing was just kind of an avenue. It was kind of just the step that he needed to be able to get to Jesus. What is it today in your life? As the worship team talked about the miracles, what's the miracle in your life? Let's pray today. And today, if you are in need of a miracle, come to God. Let him be your healer today. Let him be your provider. Let him be your savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your power. I thank you, God, that you love us. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, God, that, God, that you sent your son, God, to heal our diseases. God, you sent your son God, to rescue us from sin. God, you sent your son to give us access to, the, to all that your kingdom provides, Lord. God, we see, God, that example in the life of the blind man. All that he saw that day was, God, because of you. And so, God, today, I come to you, and I pray, Father God, for your Holy Spirit to move in us today. I pray, Father God, that there is liberty and there is freedom in your Holy Spirit to move in this place today. God, if there, there is one in this place, God, that is dealing with sickness, dealing with a broken heart, dealing with, uh, God, loss or, or pain or suffering, God, that they would experience your healing power today. God, the healing miracle of Jesus, Lord. God, if there is one here today that God, that God that is in lack or want or God in desperate need of provision, God, I pray, God, you're providing anointing to be a place in their life, God, as they come to you. God, be their provider. But God, most importantly, God, if there is one here today, God that is, God that is holding back, God, that if there is one that has been, God that has been hesitant to come to you, God, and submit their sin to you, that God, Lord, I pray that they would realize that God, that you can handle that sin. You've already paid the price for that sin. And God, that you love them. And I pray that, God, as they come to you, God, that they would receive forgiveness. God, that they would receive and have an understanding of, God, of how your grace and your mercy is sufficient for their sin, Lord. And, God, that they would understand that you're more concerned of, God, whether you love them and you're going to worship you, Lord. I pray that they would receive that today. God, we honor you and thank you, Father God, for your power today. We give you thanks today. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.